You're listening to the Wisconsin Virtual School Podcast. In today's episode, we talk about cultural cafes, which give our students an opportunity to experience foreign cultures, even though they are online students. Welcome to episode four of the as yet still to be named cleverly anyways. Maybe that's, I, and I said this last time, I, I think we'll just come up with some clever, really long, ridiculous acronym, and that will be the name for our uh, our Wisconsin Virtual School podcast, or we'll just call it the Wisconsin Virtual School podcast and just be just be vanilla about it. So anyways, I don't know. We'll see. Um, so this is uh, Executive Director for Wisconsin Virtual School, uh, Jason Schmidt, once again, and I'm joined by our Director of Operations, Michelle Nichols. Hey, Michelle. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on another episode. Hey, thanks for coming back. I haven't scared you away yet, which I think is a, a, a good uh, a good thing that just lets me know that you're in this for the long haul. I know I can count on you for all kinds of crazy things, Michelle. So I appreciate your support. We have two new voices to the podcast uh, today as well, um, Meg Graham and Lynn Neitzel. So we'll start with Meg. Um, Meg, can you tell us a little bit about your role within WVS and uh, and kind of just you know just a, a real brief background if you could. Uh, I'm a Spanish teacher. I was, I've been with WVS teaching Spanish since 2014, and I just retired after 35 years teaching Spanish face-to-face from the McGuanico School District. And you're still working with us in your retirement, which, you know, says a lot of, to, about your dedication and your, your willingness to continue to work with kids. I know, you know, and it probably just helps keep you from getting bored. I know. Like I, I'm my, just not my, done. You're just not done. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're not done with us uh, because you do a, you do a great job with our students and supporting uh, schools across the state of Wisconsin. And then actually internationally too, right? We've got some kids in uh, Trinidad and mm-hmm. like, there's just, there are kids all over the place. So uh, really appreciate having you with us uh, just in general and also specifically today on the podcast. Uh, and then we also have Lynn. So Lynn, again, same questions, just a little bit about you and um, you know, how we, w- you know, what we're, what are, what are, what are you up to right now? What, what do you do these days? Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Um, Just like Meg, I started teaching uh, Japanese for Wisconsin virtual schools back in 2014. Um, At that time, I was actually transitioning um, to a new position. I had taught, um, I started out as a high school French teacher and ended up as an elementary school Japanese language teacher. So you can figure out that transition. Uh, That's the winning ticket. But I spent a little over 20, I spent a little over 20 years teaching in the state in schools in the state of Wisconsin, 20 years in the Menasha Joint School District up in the Fox Valley. Um, Currently, I live in Janesville, Wisconsin, where I work at Black Hawk Technical College, part of the Wisconsin Technical College system. Um, I'm the director of the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning. So I work with online learning with, I have a rock star team of instructional designers that helps our faculty and others just be the best that they can be for our students. So a lot of online, um, you know, teaching and learning uh, post, hopefully soon to be post pandemic, but we were doing a lot of innovative um, polysynchronous delivery and just working with our learning management system before that. So I think WVS because it keeps me in my passion world, which is world languages, even though I don't do that necessarily on a daily basis anymore. 
Well, and we're glad that you're uh, able to scratch that itch <laughs> by teaching with WVS. You're one of uh, both you and Meg are both uh, very highly respected and highly effective teachers for our students. So we appreciate having you guys on board and the, the contributions that you bring. And one of the major contributions that you've made and the reason for having you on the podcast this, uh, this time around is uh, starting up something that we call cultural cafes. So um, I, you know, before we get into like where all of this came from and all of that kind of stuff, uh, I'd just be really interested to hear more about what that is. What is a cultural cafe and how does it work? What are we trying to accomplish through those kinds of things? Um, and then just what is that, what does that look like? How do we, how are we doing this work in, in Wisconsin virtual school? So I'll throw that out to you guys and you, I'll let you explain a little more how those, how those work. A cultural cafe is an opportunity for our students, even though they're virtual, to engage in a cultural activity. And um, we arranged it in the evening because we think most of our students are available in the evening, but we, um, we record it so that they can watch it at any time. So it, it, it fits in with their uh, virtual schedule and then they can have the opportunity to, be, to either engage online when we do the program live or they can engage with it later, but still um, have that cultural exposure that um, is just so much a part of language. Lynn, add your thoughts. Yeah, and I think to, and I think I'll piggyback off of Meg. Um, we know from our experience and working with our colleagues in world languages that a lot of our students take a language because they're very interested in one or more cultural aspects, or they themselves have a connection to a heritage or to an experience in their background. And this is just kind of this is capitalizing on their interests and also introducing them to, you know, some of that historical um, knowledge and historical pieces of, of culture that help shape languages across the globe. Um, you know, I know Meg can, can speak about the different Spanish speaking cultures of the world that they're not all the same. So, um, and the same thing with Japan and the Japanese culture, it's also, I think helps break down some of those stereotypes um, for our students, but it also introduces them to the new modern types of culture that are out there that they may not even know are happening. Yeah, you know, that whole idea of uh, how, how language is tied to culture is something, like for me personally, I didn't really figure that out until I was in college <laughs> and to, you know, in my foreign language classes that I was taking in college, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, yeah, like there's a whole, there's a whole nother layer of richness that goes around studying a language. It's not just learning how to insult somebody in a different, uh, you know, using different vocabulary. Right. Um, because that's, I mean, that's honestly, you know, I, I started when I was an adolescent. So obviously I was, you know, I wanted to figure out how to, I could call somebody stupid in Latin. Um, because that's, you know, just that, that seems like, then they don't know, then they don't know that I'm calling them stupid. Right. Um, but you know, you get into a lot of those, uh, those, those cultural studies and, 
it really like, that's the hook, right? It's not so much that, um, that it's the, the language itself, but what are all of the other things that go around with that? And, you know, why, like, why are there, um, you know, and how does the culture influence the language, right? So, you know, you get to some languages where you have, you know, there's, there's 18 different words for rain, um, where in English, we only have one, but, you know, we have how many different synonyms for describing how somebody's upset, you know, so I, so any of those things, like, uh, and that's, and that's really the goal of the cultural cafes, right, is to highlight some of those cultural differences and give students a bit of an exposure to, this is what Spanish culture is like. This is what Japanese culture is like, and almost use that as kind of a hook for, okay, now, you know, you've, you've gotten a little bit of a taste. What is that like? Now, what does that mean to go further? And how does that, how does that apply then to your, your own culture, right? Because we live in an increasingly global society. So that's an important skill for, um, for kids to have, or am I off base? And do I need to delete this part out? No, I think you're exactly right. Um, it is. It's the carrot. Culture is the carrot that, you know, we use to engage our students so that, you know, they can, they'll put up with verb conjugation and other things that are tedious in a language to learn more about the, the beautiful things and the unique things about culture. Yeah, and our, our topics are, are varied enough um, and broad enough across the different languages and the different teachers that we have teaching them that we're hoping that students will, within the languages that they may speak at their, on their own at their own homes or the languages that they're studying, be able to make that transfer of knowledge and be able to think a little bit more deeply um, and move to that perspective level. And in the field of world languages, we call them often the three Ps when you're talking about culture. It's the product, it's the thing, it's the practice of what you do with those things. And then it's the perspective, it's the why. And a lot of times we, we miss getting to the why. And that's where, as Meg noted, that's where that richness lies. And that's where we can help change um, possibly people's ideas about others uh, that live in the world or live right next door to us. That if nothing else, it will help us stop and think and about how we view certain um, certain practices and perspectives of other people. I, I always knew my my biggest goal when I was teaching elementary school Japanese was to have my students not say the words like, "Well, that's weird" or "That's strange" or "That's different," and instead say, "Wow, that's kind of interesting," or "I never thought about it that way." You know, that, that's where a lot of the power of having them exposed to different cultures and, and learning through the language is going to help change their perspectives and moving forward. Yeah, and Lynn, that kind of, that touches on one thing that uh, I know in conversations that we had when we were getting these things started um, was, was a really important point for us to have discussions around is the fact that these, these cafes are sessions that are so accessible, really anybody could come to something like this, right? So you don't need to have experience with Chinese language in order to be able to experience the cultural cafe that we have coming up in January, right? Um, so, you know, but there's, and there, there are aspects of culture that are, 
built in, you know, you talk about vocabulary, you talk about customs, you talk about history, because that's all part of the package. But, um, but it doesn't require background knowledge. It's more like Meg said, it's kind of the carrot to get them to think about it and, you know, and, and broaden that perspective, which I think is, um, you know, just a, a really, a really important service, I think that, uh, that we're trying to provide for students through this, uh, through this activity. Um, I think we've got a pretty good grasp on what these are, right? These, these live and recorded sessions where we're exploring different cultures and different aspects of different cultures and languages. Um, but I've, I've got to ask, like, where did this idea come from? Because I'm, I'm somebody like, you know, I, I came in in July and Michelle is like, okay, and we've got this grant for this thing. I'm like, okay, cool. What is it? And then she's like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And then we, and then we just went from there. So um, I'd be, I'd be interested to hear where the idea came from and how this has kind of developed over the, over the years. Jason, I'll jump in here and, and really it's about our world language teachers and them bringing this to us. And so Meg and Lynn are kind of cheerleaders and they, they wanted to do this from the get-go. Another important person that started this process for us was Karen Barraza. She started working with WVS in 2011. And this year we um, lost Karen Barraza, but we're happy to say that the cultural cafes and something that she brought to us when she first came to us, she had done something similar for another state program, virtual program. And so she said, you know, I was a part of this and, and it had some great impact on learners. It was just this way to bring diverse groups together in an equitable way. It was very inclusive. Is this something we could do? And so we said, yes, we were definitely on board with that. And we had the opportunity uh, through one of our partners in the Wisconsin Digital Learning Collaborative, the Wisconsin eSchool Network, to seek some funding for an online and blended learning engagement grant that they had, because we felt we wanted to engage not only our learners, and this is a cool thing, this is kind of a side effect, right? We said anybody could come, we didn't limit it. So we promoted it through our active learners, but guess what? We have their siblings, we have their grandparents, we have other adults or people that might be staying at their house at the time that this is happening, coming to these sessions. And so that's really where it got its start is kind of we took an idea that was out there in another state and said, this is something that we can do. And it wouldn't be possible with the, without the two educators here with us today. And there, there's 15 world language teachers that we have right now in WBS that are, are making this a reality. Yeah, you know, it's this is a it just makes me so proud to hear about, you know, how long this idea has been around and how you know, it just took a, a couple of people to really just take the, take that idea, grab it by the, grab the bull by the horns kind of a deal. And, you know, just start working through and figuring out logistics and all of that kind of stuff, come up with a plan and, um, and, and make things happen. And I feel like it's been pretty successful so far. Um, there's obviously, there's always room to grow, right? Um, but, you know, this is, this is another one of those activities that I think uh, it's just so important and so valuable and has so many benefits for, um, for, for students and really anybody who would want to participate. Uh, Megan, Lynn, what are some of the things that we've been doing so far 
uh, since we started this. I know, I think our first one was back in September or October. Um, and we've had several throughout the, uh, throughout the year so far, and we've got more planned. Um, but I'm just, I'm just wondering about how things have been going and what are, what are some of the uh, cafes that we've run and what have we been hearing from students as well? Um, I did the kickoff one, which was Pico de Gallo. And I, I chose it because um, in my experience with students, I know they're always hungry, always hungry, especially if there are snacks or if you have an event and there's food involved, they'll always attend. So um, I chose that and um, I just, I did some research and just talked about how important the tomato is not only in Mexican culture, but in Spain and in so many of the Spanish speaking cultures, but then brought it back to the idea of how you make a very simple pico de gallo. And I just had some different slides and um, talked about it. And um, the feedback I got from students was, um, was good. They, they definitely told me they wanted to see more food events in our cultural cafes. So um, some of the cultural cafes that are coming up are gonna be spot on, but um, I think they they enjoyed learning how to do it and they sent me pictures of the pico that they made. So that was really fun. Um, yeah, and I, I followed up um, from Meg's fantastic kickoff. Thank you, Meg, <laughs> um, and did uh, origami, which actually is a traditional Chinese art, but has been, capitalized on, I think in Japan, people usually relate it with uh, the Japanese culture, the art of paper folding, um, you know, and I tried to connect it back to some of the more significant pieces of history or and or literature as well that students may have read or might be interested in, such as um, the story that took place during World War II of Sadako and a thousand paper cranes. A lot of students may have read that during elementary or middle school. So, Again, touching on those um, significant pieces of culture while having some fun, right? And, and, you know, and maybe even I just call it hiding the broccoli in the pizza, right? Origami is very mm -hmm. geometry, very symmetry. It's very math. So if, if nothing else, maybe I'm doing the math teacher some service by, by folding some origami and, and doing that cross-disciplinary piece when they don't even know it. That's the best part. And, you know, moving forward, um, we had a German and a French teacher that worked together to talk about Christmas traditions in both Germany and in France. And they um, use Frohe Noel, which are the two words put together for um, in German and in French. And, and we'll be having Chinese fashion. We'll be talking about, again, the foods of Japan and doing a couple of other, um, you know, really interesting topics. And while we were trying to engage the students, I think, which is the is our number one goal, in language and culture, I think it's really fun for us as teachers. And we're not, we, we like grammar and we may, may be good at it. And that's why we teach languages, but we were once students too. And I don't know about you, Meg, I don't wanna speak for you, but I'm guessing that you got interested in teaching Spanish because you like the culture as well. And those are, the, those are the pieces that excite you. And for some of us that teach online, when we are face-to-face -face classroom teachers coming up with this great cultural experience for our students and planning it was super exciting and super fun. And it was really amazing to see the kids' faces as they were you know, participating. So I think not just for the students, but for us as world language teachers, it might bring back a little bit of that excitement and engagement that we may feel like we're missing in an online environment 
by putting together some of these cultural experiences. Meg, I don't know if you have anything to add to that or not. No, I, I do. And um, I think also for students, they um, we, we didn't want to we wanted them to have that cultural experience, but to entice them, we also offered them once a semester, they can um, use their participation and get a hundred on an, any assignment that's up to a certain number of points, like a 30 point assignment. So there's a little reward. They also get a certificate, I think that recognizes them as being you know, globally involved. And I think also, what's super fun is that we did use the same planning document to create all of our cultural cafes, and there are certain things that are similar, but every single one is different. Um, one might be slides, one might be uh, the origami was hands-on. The Christmas uh, in Germany and France, I really felt like those teachers, they, they were showing us real realia, real Christmas decorations from Germany and France, and I... I I thought that was so interesting. And, and there's time for questions or um, for example, also during origami, if uh, we had all different ages of learners and I am not super adept at folding paper. So it was really great. The, the presentation can be adjusted for all participants. So it felt very inclusive, which I think is something virtual learner, learners sometimes don't feel included. And so that part of it felt really great. And um, the ones that are coming up with, you know, like the ones that Lynn mentioned, and also there's a coffee around the world and Chinese New Year's. I mean, we really tried to, to reach a, a broad audience. And so our students from all different languages, even our students studying Japanese are coming to the German and French or, or vice versa. And we're teaching them vocabulary. Um, so they're learning a few words in another language, which may or not stick with them, but it's that whole participation feeling and the inclusion that I think is, has really brought um, a great feeling. And we've gotten really good feedback from our kids about that, that feeling of being included. Meg and Lynn, Meg, that idea of isolation and this bringing people together in inclusivity that is coming through loud and clear. And then Lynn, you kept saying fun, fun. The really the, when you think of school and kind of like the jobs to be done theory, kids hire school to experience success, right? And have fun with friends. And this is a spot where they are having fun for friends. And Lynn, like you say, it's this carrot. They don't even know sometimes what they're learning. And we're hiding the fact in there that these sessions are grounded in some standards, right? They're grounded in our Wisconsin standards for world language, especially around intercultural communications. And then we have some national standards for quality online teaching. And in particular, the ones about providing diverse instruction and community building really tie in well with these sessions. So to me, that's the exciting spot is we're creating this space where we are bringing diverse learners together in a safe manner to discover the world that's all around us, right? And learn a little bit more about ourselves. Because I have to tell you in Froey Noel, I did learn something myself about a decoration that my parents have that I never truly understood. And so I'm, I'm glad to be a part of them. And thank you guys for, for making it a reality. Yeah, I missed the last one. Um, but was it the, was it the pickle? 
No, it's not the, it wasn't the pickle. Oh, okay. I'm now I'm, nope, just, now I'm super curious. I might have to go back. I might have to go back and check out the recording on that one. Cause um, yeah, I, I, I missed that one. I, yeah. And I can attest to the, to the effectiveness and uh, you know, just how, how great these have been for kids. I have a 12 year old daughter who um, attended the origami lens origami session and <clears throat> she is just super on fire. She wants to learn Japanese. She wants to live in Japan. Like she's, you know, super excited about all of the possibilities that go with that. Um, she asked for origami paper for Christmas. So, you know, I, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely something that, um, you know, kids, our, our, our kids are really latching on to these topics. Right. And, you know, I think back on my, high school and my college experience. And I don't remember, I don't remember the, the time that I learned how to conjugate, um, you know, German, German verbs, but I do remember having a sing-along with our German teacher. And we sang, we sang Schnitzelbank and we drank, you know, we, we didn't drink anything. We sang, you know, all kinds of all kinds of German songs and, you know, do, do leaks, Miren Herzen and like all these fun things. And I was just like, that was, that was over 20 years ago. And I still remember the words to all of these things because it was just such a fun experience. So, you know, I think these cultural cafes are a really good way to um, incorporate some of that live classroom experience, but in a way that again is accessible and uh, gives, gives kids the opportunity to, have those kinds of experiences, no matter what their age level is or what their ability level. And, uh, you know, just bring those, bring those, uh, activities in that learning home. And, you know, hopefully that sparks an interest. Like Meg said, you know, we want to dangle a carrot in front of them, see if they, see if they bite. So, uh, thank you all so much for the conversation. It seems like, you know, it not seems like this is definitely like a, just a, a wonderful thing that you've been organizing. Um, I've been super happy with the way that things have been going. I know that we've gotten lots of positive feedback from uh, people who have been involved in those kinds of things. Anybody who's listening in and wants to experience one of these live, uh, we will have a link to the flyer that advertises all of these different opportunities uh, as we're doing them throughout this, throughout the rest of this school year. And then, um, Michelle, you'll probably need to clarify this for me. Are they, will they also be able to see the past ones on there? Like the, at least what they were, or, or do we update those so that the, so that information's off there? All the past ones are there too. So if someone is looking just to take a sneak peek and, and, and want to view the resources and the recording, we do okay. have those available for up to, up to 30 days. Okay, great. So, uh, so they'll be able to see some, some of the previous ones in there. Good. So yeah, and we're looking forward to Chinese fashion the end of January. That's going to be a fun one. So I mean, they're all going to be fun ones. But, um, you know, I just I love the, the concept of attaching some of that foreign language and cultural learning to something that is really high interest and, you know, really can spark some some conversation and some maybe potential future exploration from our participants on those. So um, thank you all so much for contributing to the podcast this week. Um, I appreciate your work. I appreciate all the things that you do. And most importantly, uh, thank you so much for your service to students across our, across the state and all over the place. Uh, it really makes a difference uh, what you do and um, just can't express my gratitude 
any, I, I can't, I can't express my gratitude sufficiently for you. So uh, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. It's really thank a lot you. of fun. It is. It's really, a, it, like I said before, it's the kids are having fun, but I think the teachers are also having fun. And I uh, think we need to, we need to incorporate more of that kind of stuff in our, in our field. Um, you know, we, we, we need to love coming to work and we need to love the things that we do. And hopefully this is one of those ways we can incorporate that. We're having lots of fun planning and, and we look forward to in May and June, we're going to have some listening sessions so we can collect our participants voice and they can give us some direction on where we're headed next too. So know that you can have input and impact on what's around the corner as well. So many great things. So, so, so many contributions. I, again, thank you so much. Um, and thank you, anybody else who's out there who's listening in on the podcast. Um, appreciate your support. And if you have any questions, you can certainly reach out to me. And then I also noticed there's a way for you in Anchor to leave a voice comment. So if you're, if you're listening on Anchor, uh, feel free to leave us a voice comment too. And, you know, we'd love to hear from you and maybe we can incorporate that into a future episode. So uh, thank you so much again and take care, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.